Rachel Neuer, a journalist, wrote this in an article on the BBC. You and everyone you've ever known will someday die. According to some psychologists, this uncomfortable truth constantly lurks in the back of our minds and ultimately drives everything we do. From choosing to attend church, eat vegetables, go to the gym, to motivating us to have children, write books, and create companies. For healthy people, death usually lurks in the back of our minds, exerting its influence on a subconscious level. Most of the time we go through our days unaware, not thinking of our mortality, says Chris Fudno, a pediatrician and ethicist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We cope by focusing on things more directly in front of us. Well, welcome to church. Just wanted to encourage you today. Hope you guys have an awesome Easter Sunday. Uh, all kidding aside, you know, we think about death and it's something we don't like to think about. We like to put to the back of our minds because death is this kind of great equalizer. You know, when you're dead, it doesn't matter what you did during your life, in your career, or your relationships. When you're dead, you're dead. And it communicates to us something about us and it communicates that we're insignificant, that our lives don't matter. And so we try to put death into the back of our minds. We don't like to think about it. We like to hide the fact that it exists. We try to sanitize pictures of death. But death profoundly influences how we live our lives. In fact, research has shown that having the word death appear on a screen for a mere 42.8 second, millimeters or milliseconds causes us to, influ- to change our behavior. And that's so fast that you probably wouldn't even recognize it as coming on the screen. Researchers have found that just being within the the view of a funeral home changes our behavior. Death has a profound influence on us. And it's not just ordinary people. It has a profound influence on anybody despite how much money they have or how much resources they have. In fact, there's a number of very wealthy individuals who have kind of leverage their resources to try to defeat death. For example, Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison spent $430 million on anti-aging research and spent $200 million on his cancer institute at the University of Southern California. He's often been quoted as saying, that never made sense to me. 2014, Google founders Sergey Brin and Larry Page announced a $1.5 billion research center. They launched... Calico, a life extension company focusing on genetic research and development of pharmaceuticals targeting disease associated with old age. In 2016, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, along with other investors, gave $116 million to a company called Unity Biotechnology, whose aim is targeting cellular mechanisms at the root of age-related diseases. Entrepreneur Dave Asprey, uh, the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, allegedly takes 150 supplements per day, and he hopes to live to be 180 years old. He's already spent over a million dollars on treatments for himself uh, to prevent the aging process from occurring. But despite how hard we try, death has a pretty good record. In fact, of people who have tried to stage off death, they've all been unsuccessful. For example, 
There's a guy named, by the name of Clive McKay, and he designed a low-calorie diet, and he did research on these rats. Um, and after giving them ver- a very small amount of food over a certain amount of time, that he said that they lived the equivalent of 130 years in human years. So he hoped to live to be over 100 years old by uh, reducing his caloric intake. Though he was healthy, though he was athletic, he ended up having a stroke at 69 and died. There's another man by the name of Roy Wolfert. He stuck to a 1,600-calorie-a-day diet. He wrote a book called A 120-Year Diet. Then he followed it up with a book called Beyond the 120-Year Diet. He had thousands of people who followed his teaching and hoped to live over 100 because of reducing their caloric intake. And yet he died at 79 years old. Nathan Pritikin was one of the foremost proponents of the low-fat diet. He died at age 69, about the same age as uh, uh, Mr. Atkins died, who promoted the opposite, high-fat, low-carbs. Died at about the same age. Then there's a guy named Jeremy Rodell. Jeremy Rodell was one of the first people to kind of promote organic farming and sustainable living. Uh, And he had a huge following. And he went on the uh, Dick Cavett show in 1971. And while he was being interviewed on that show, he proclaimed how healthy he was. Um, I think one thing I read said that he said that nothing was going to take him off the earth unless he was in a car accident or something like that. And he, he proclaimed he was going to live over 100. By the end of that interview, he died on the set. He died at age uh, 72 on the set. Now that's not to say that there aren't things that we can do to improve our lives or to make us live a little longer, that healthy eating is bad, but it's to say that when our time has come, our time has come. Death always wins in that sense. Death hangs over us like a storm that we see coming, but we can never really be fully prepared for. Epicurus once said this, It's possible to provide security against other ills, but as far as death is concerned, we men live in a city without walls. We live in a city without walls. We have no protection from death. When it comes, it comes. The scriptures indicate that the natural man is dead and a slave to their sins and slave to death. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, if not... Uh, you can see it on the screen. We'll be looking at verses 14 and 15 today. One thousand two in the Pew Bible. Verse 14 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So the scriptures say that by nature we are subjected to death and we are slaves to death. 
But today we're here and we're celebrating Easter, that moment when everything changed, when a revolution occurred, when Jesus rose up from the grave and proclaimed once and for all that death no longer needed to be the victor. And this changed everything, and it changes how we live. It's nothing short of a revolution. And this revolution has a number of different ramifications for how we live our lives. It means that we're no longer slaves to death, but we're children of the resurrection. We're no longer slaves to death, but we're children of the resurrection. It means that our lives have no end. That death is not the end for us. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, our bodies will raise again to new life, to spend forever with God. But it also means that there's nothing on this earth that we'll ever miss out on. You know, we think about making things like a bucket list and things that we like to do in our lives. You know, and you know, I think on, on my life and things that I like to do, you know, and I'm relatively young, and I think about some of the things, and I don't know that I'm going to accomplish all of them. I don't know that I'm going to have the resources to do some of the things I'd like to do. But the resurrection shows us that we really will miss out on nothing. That anything we experience here will experience it even greater in heaven. Uh, my wife Stephanie works downtown uh, near City Hall, and I drive her to work uh, a number of times a week. And it usually takes somewhere around 25 to 30 minutes. It could take substantially longer if there's traffic, or it could take a little bit less um, if the traffic's good. I think the best I've ever made it there was about 18 minutes with, you know, the lights just working perfectly, no traffic. And so about 18 minutes. But imagine that I told you, so I have a million dollars, and if you could get down to City Hall in 10 minutes, I'll give you that million dollars. And you, you frantically rush to your car. You turn the car on. You're driving 60 miles an hour down Thompson Street. Once you get to the throughway, you're driving 85 miles per hour. You go through some traffic lights. You almost hit somebody. And you get down there, and it's been 12 minutes. I said, sorry, it has to be 10 minutes. And you're devastated over that. And you think to yourself, what could I have done different? If only I would have driven a little bit faster. If only that person wouldn't have been in front of me that was blocking me from going forward. If only there was a little bit less traffic, and you kind of walk through what you did wrong and what you could have done different to get that million dollars. But imagine I told you this. Imagine I told you, I have a million dollars, and if you get downtown in 10 minutes, I'll give you a check right now for that million dollars. But if you don't make it in 10 minutes, that's okay. I'll still give you the check. You just have to wait two weeks for that check. Now, if that was the case, you'd probably think to yourself, well, I really don't think I can make it down in 10 minutes. And if I tried to, it probably wouldn't be that safe. So... I might as well just take a leisurely stroll down there. And if I happen to make it in 10 minutes, I do. If not, I'll get it in two weeks. I think that's a picture of how we can live our lives. We can live our lives trying to fit everything in, trying to hold on to every experience as if this life is the only life that matters. But the resurrection shows us that this life is just a taste of what's to come. We don't have to try to cram everything in. We don't have to hold on to every piece of life and every experience. 
Because when we do that, we ultimately end up disillusioned, dissatisfied. And we're wondering, what did I do wrong? Why didn't I achieve what I wanted to achieve? But when we realize that there's joy waiting for us in heaven that we've never even imagined, that's greater than we could ever experience here, there's this freedom. We don't have to experience everything on this earth. We can be free to know that one day we'll experience it in heaven. The resurrection also reminds us that suffering is temporary. I mean, life is difficult. We all, all experience loss. We all experience pain. We all experience health difficulty. It's tough. One author wrote this, A life of hardships and personal suffering is unavoidable. A person must endure many humiliations of the mind and body and expect persons whom they trusted to someday betray them. People inevitably witness the death of their loved ones. We also witness acts of depravity committed by criminals that lurk in every society and rogue acts of scandal committed by government officials in charge of the public welfare. A person must nonetheless resist personal discouragement, sadness, dejection, and despondency. I must reach in accord with pain, suffering, and anguish, or forevermore be tortured by reality while constantly seeking to escape from the inescapable agony of being. That's just the reality of life. We all experience suffering. If you're not experiencing now, you will experience it. The only hope for our suffering is that this is not the end. That suffering is only temporary. That's the only hope that we can offer to a dying man or a woman who's on their deathbed, who has earthly nothing to look forward to. Everything they experience on this earth will be bad from that point forward. But there's a hope of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection, that it's only temporary. Just hold on. Wait. Joy is coming in the morning. There's a story about a woman who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She was given three months to live. And after she got her affairs in order, she called up her pastor and she told the pastor how she wanted the service to go and she told particular scripture passages she wanted read at the funeral service. Um, She described the dress that she wanted to be buried in and uh, she described how she wanted her favorite Bible to be buried with her. And then they were closing and the pastor was about to leave and she remembered one last thing. She said, "Uh, wait a second, there's one more thing and this is really important. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. Pastor looked at her, bewildered, and she said, well, I've been coming to church for quite some time, and we would have all these potlucks and uh, all these different social events. And when the main course was finished, inevitably somebody would come around and they would say, just hold on to your fork, dessert is coming. That was my favorite part part of the meal. They would bring out velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. So she said, when people see me in the casket and they ask, what's the fork about? I want you to tell people, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. That's the reality that the resurrection gives us. The best is yet to come. We don't have to hold on to this life as if this is the only life that matters. We don't have to wallow in our suffering. We can realize that Our suffering is coming to an end. But it also means that we don't have to live in the grave any longer. We don't have to live in the grave any longer. Some of us today, maybe we've been living in light of the grave rather than living in light of the resurrection. 
Remember the story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus. Lazarus had passed away, and it had been four days. And he comes to the tomb where, Jesus, or where Lazarus was laid, and he speaks these words. He says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus gets up from the grave. He walks out of the grave with the grave clothes still on him, but he's fully alive. That's the kind of power that Jesus had. That he could just speak and people would rise up from the grave. And maybe that's the word that God is speaking to some of us today. Maybe he's calling us to come out of the grave. To experience the life of the resurrection. Because there's some of us here who have been living a life in the grave. Who don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you feel like something's missing in your life. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've been feeling like you've been kind of spinning the wheels through life. Just doing life without purpose. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. We've all done things to dishonor our Lord and Savior. We've all done things to harm our neighbor. We've all sought satisfaction in things rather than in the Creator. The Bible said because of that, the wages of our sin is death. Wherever there is sin, there is death. We were never meant to die. Our first... Parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the Garden of Eden and put us on a trajectory of death. And whenever we break God's laws or do things that harm our neighbor, there's kind of the stench of death that follows after that. And if nothing changes, that stench of death ultimately leads us to the place the Bible calls hell. But the Scriptures tell us that that's why Jesus came to the earth. He came to save us from that reality. He came to the earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to take our penalty. And He rose again from the grave proving that death and hell could not win the victory. That whoever would believe in Him could experience life and hope. So anybody here who's maybe you feel like you've been in the grave for most of your life or maybe for a part of your life, Jesus speaks the word to you today. Come out of that grave. Experience the life that you were always meant to live. We do that by faith, by trusting in all that He is for us. The best illustration that I can think of to illustrate what that means is the picture of marriage. Now, when you come in, you get married to somebody, you might not know everything about them, but you know some things about them. And when you come to be married, you're committing to them and saying, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know what this is going to mean. But I'm committing to do life with you. I trust in you enough to do this life with you. And that's a picture of what it means to follow after God. We enter into a relationship with Him and we say, God, I'm going to do life with you. I trust in what you did for me in the cross. I believe in your victory in the resurrection. And I want to do life with you. If there's anybody here who hasn't entered into a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to walk you through that and how to do that in just a few moments. But for others of us, maybe we're believers, but we're hanging out in the grave. We're believers, we've been saved from the grave, but we're hanging out in the grave, and it's almost like we're trying on the grave clothes again. What are some signs that we're doing that? We live as if this life is all that matters. We start doing habits and behaviors that are not honoring to God to kind of fill this void that's in our hearts. We quarrel and speak evil of others. 
We complain about the circumstances that God has placed us in. These are the things of the grave. These are the things that lead to death. And maybe for those of us who are believers, God is calling us today to come out of that grave. To leave the grave clothes behind and enter into the reality of all that God has for us. He's made us new. We were dead in our sins, but He has made us alive in Christ Jesus. So we don't need to return to that grave anymore. We don't need to live like we lived before. So He's calling some of us to leave that grave today. In her book, The God Who Hung on the Cross, journalist Ellen Vaughn tells a story uh, about how the gospel came to this small village in Cambodia. And uh, this missionary, we'll call him John Smith because the name um, was sensitive, so they don't know his real name. We'll call him John Smith. He came to uh, this area in Cambodia, and almost everybody who was there were either Buddhists or animists or spiritualists, very few Christians, if any at all. But then they went to this particular, one particular village, and they found this incredible openness to the gospel. Many people there responded to the invitation to know God and, and experience the gospel. And so he wondered why that was. Why out of all these villages, nobody has any interest in the gospel, this one village Everybody's open to the gospel. So we asked him, so why why is everyone so open? Like, why did you respond to the gospel? And this older lady came forward and she shared this story and she said, we've been waiting for 20 years to hear about the God who hung on the cross. And she told the story about what had happened a number of years ago. Uh, during that time frame in the 70s, the Khmer Rouge, the brutal communist-led regime, was going through and just kind of wiping people out. And uh, the Khmer Rouge came into this village and got every, gathered everybody together and they told them to start digging their own graves. And so they dig their own graves and they have the graves dug and then they all started crying out to different gods. Some screamed to Buddha, some screamed to demon spirits, some screamed to their ancestor. But one woman, based on something that she had heard a long, long time ago as a child, started to cry to a God who hung on a cross. And this God, she thought to herself, if God hung on a cross, if this God hung on a cross, surely he knows what it's like to suffer. Surely he'll have compassion on our situation. So she started to cry. As she cried, others joined with her, and it became one big, great cry to this God who hung on the cross. They cried loudly for a few moments, and then the loudness turned to a soft whisper of crying. They continued facing their own graves, waiting for what was going to happen to them. Finally, they got the courage And they turned around and they saw that their captors were gone. The people who sought to kill them were gone. And so they turned around and they left their graves behind. That's what God is calling some of us to do today. He's calling us to leave our graves behind and experience resurrection life. We're no longer slaves to death. We're children of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, 
I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Then the perishable puts on the imperishable. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, maybe you know about Him, you know the story, but you wouldn't say you're following Him. You don't know Him personally. I'm going to give you an opportunity to enter into a relationship with Him today. I'd invite you to just kind of pray a prayer silently to your, in, your, in your heart to God. It's not a magical prayer. Prayer doesn't save you. It's just an expression of your heart to God. You might say something like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I've known that I've fallen short of Your glory. God, I've known I've done things that have hurt you and hurt others. But I believe that you died for me. Believe that you rose again from the grave. I believe that you offer me new life. A life that's not governed by the grave, but governed by life. Lord, I ask You to come into my life. I want to follow You for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of us are here and we're believers. Maybe God is calling you to leave the grave behind. Maybe there are habits or patterns or ways of thinking that are Patterns of living in the grave rather than living in the resurrection life. And if that's you today, God, I just ask you, I'll just give you a moment of just a couple seconds of silence to just to do business with God. God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your grace. We pray for anybody here who has found life today. God, I pray that You would confirm that in their hearts. That they would take the steps of following after You. God, for anybody here who's a believer who's been living in the grave, Lord, I pray that You just give them the courage to Leave that behind. To leave the grave clothes behind. To realize the greatness of all that You've done for us. And to live in the newness of life. God, we love You. We thank You for the cross. We thank You for Your victory and the resurrection. Allow us to live our lives in such a way that 
we show our gratitude to you for all that you've done for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.